Welcome to Biteside. We're rested, we're excited, we're ready to go. I'm just going to dive straight in. Nick, how are you? I'm really good. And look, I've just got a weird anecdote for you because I took a week off. Uh, I was in the Central Coast just having a bit of a break. That's why I wasn't here last week. It was lovely. It was a little break in the weather. It was sunny beach days. It was 4 p.m. cocktails, great food. I'm having a walk around the Booty National Park. I'm a kilometre and a half from anywhere minimum. Uh, I've just seen an echidna. It was all really exciting. Some other people are coming in the path. And who is it? Well, it's yet another editor of Internet AU. You, I, and back before I was editor, when I was still deputy editor, Kate Crawford, who, who now runs an AI foundation in New York, I bump into Amazing. her in the Central Coast just completely randomly. Um, I just, <laughs> it was just one of those, you know, there'd th- been two seconds delay or two minutes delay from when I left to go for a walk. I never would have seen her. Absolutely bizarre as hell. So, um, yeah. Hi, Kate. You're not listening, but it was really nice to see you. <laughs> I'm so, what are you talking about? I'm sure she's one of our many listeners. I Surely. am sure she's one of our many, <laughs> many listeners. Um, it was funny. I'd been thinking about her not that long ago. Of course, um, back in the nineties, she was in a band called Biff Tech. Um, and yeah. they actually had a 2020 themed song. So people had gotten in contact with them to have a talk about what it was like now. Um, but yeah, uh, what is she doing at the moment? She is working. She established the AI Now Institute. That's right. So that's working out in New yeah. York. Yeah. Yeah. She worked for a like a Microsoft uh, funded lab for a mm. long time in AI and kind of future research. Just one of those people who you know escaped the hole that is journalism <laughs> and went, "What if I apply all of this knowledge that I've gained and become an academic and help to make the world better with all this stuff?" And she's doing. Of- some amazing yeah. work. Some absolutely amazing yeah. work. All right. That is not what we're here to talk about. Shows- we're here to opine on the future well, <laughs> rather than fix it. I feel like, you know, um, I'm not here to praise Quibi, but I am here to bury it. What do you, what, what do you think? <laughs> the, the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long? Uh, I mean... Yeah, that's it's certainly – well, it's not even debatable, is it? It didn't burn very bright, <laughs> and it was a very short candle. Um, Quibi is – uh, will be no more as Gone. of December. And look, Nick, we haven't spent $1.75 billion on building the bite-side miniature media empire, but we have lasted longer than – then Quibi. So victory, victory for Bartside. Just wild. Um, it's a huge amount of money to go through. And I think what a lot of people have called out, um, it's a streaming service that opened in the middle of a pandemic and couldn't get traction. And you've a lot of work's been done dissecting why. And some people are saying, oh, you know, like, uh, I guess people just weren't ready for those tiny short form videos. Well, TikTok has taken off during that time period. Exactly. So that's not accurate. So where did it go wrong? Is it a failure of concept? Is it a failure of marketing? Is it a failure of timing? Is it all of the above? I mean, I, like the big one that really catches my eye and it did back near the start was just how focused they were on that whole shtick of being able to rotate the video in either direction. It works both ways, Nick. <laughs> Look, isn't that what you've been waiting for? Haven't you just been annoyed by the fact that if you're looking at, like, 
Snap or TikTok or Instagram, you kind of have to hold your phone upright. Or if you're watching a Netflix video, you have to watch it sideways. Don't you wish you could just slowly rotate your phone in your hands and watch content in all directions? That would just make it like it's kind of stupid, but it really does feel like they put so much emphasis on clever tricks that they were kind of applying to this concept rather than what do people want when they're consuming something on their phone? And I feel like there was – think about how much extra cost was attached to editing with those Hollywood production values so that it worked both ways because it was essentially two completely separate meticulous edits of every show and every thing that was on that thing and – and it was like, yeah, they were happy to spend big to produce everything with this level of polish that actually most people don't care about. It was just wild. It was one of those many, many features. Um, and you see similar things on so many products. You would show a friend and go, isn't this wild? You can flip your phone and it'll change, change to video. So whatever orientation you're in. And then you would never do it again. You would show someone once. And then you would never have any excitement for doing it ever again. It's like the demo that you get at the start of every, you know, console (laughs) cycle or, you know, when Nintendo releases some clever trick with, you are like, right right now, these like Nintendo augmented reality racing cars that Mm. people are playing with in their houses at the moment. It's just been launching recently. And you see cool videos on the internet where you go, oh, that looks fun. And then you're like, check in with them again in two weeks, see if they've touched it like or you know when you're like oh there's a new touch panel on your new you know playstation 4 controller and so the very first game that comes out like uses it because sony paid them money to use it and then no one else uses it again like <laughs> this except for an entire an entire video streaming service. So what got me was, as you said, $1.75 billion. That is a huge amount of bank, even for a streaming service. You know exactly what that is. They seemed surprised by shutting down themselves the day before. The day before they announced that they were going to be closing was when they launched apps for Apple TV, Android TV, and Fire TV. Yep. So how much work exactly. had gone into getting those apps ready for 24 hours later? Everyone to go, oh, well, I guess I won't grab those apps now. And look, you know, I noticed uh, I wrote a piece with uh, the founder of Sling and Stone just the other day for the IT Journal website about 10 years of the agency. It's a PR agency um, that is now an international agency and, you know, run by a really lovely guy. And I, when I was just flicking back through some recent notes and stuff i noticed oh yeah they announced that they Uh will put on they like won a competitive pitch to become quibi's pr agency um here in australia and that was in the last few days of september you know it was all systems go until it suddenly suddenly wasn't yeah and the subscriber numbers now i just want to be clear when i give these numbers that quibi has refuted them they say that numbers are incredibly wrong but uh app tracking firm sensor tower they said back in July that Quibi lost 90% of subscribers when that three-month trial ran out. 72,000 people signing up. That's not a lot of in people. In total. In total. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's 
It's so much less than I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, let's say it was, let's call it double that. Um, <laughs> That's you know, not... Meanwhile, uh, Disney Plus, one of the greatest <laughs> launches of all time for any streaming service in the tens of millions of subscribers within its, you know, first like six months, basically. Um, but again, I think all of the compl- like one in there in Quibi's, uh, like Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg wrote a, a joint letter, like open letter. Um, and they sort of said that, you know, is it that the idea wasn't quite right or is it that they launched at the wrong time? We'll never know. Well, we'll never and know. I'm, like, what a I'm sorry. We, we kind of know. We kind of know. Um, Again, with the fact that TikTok exploded at this moment in history, that there is no question that it wasn't just about filling in gaps in time. Like this, it was, I think we said it really back near the start. And, you know, God bless them. We have given so many uh, minutes of attention to Quibi that it probably didn't deserve. But it was here in our early days. Uh, it's had, it's staggered <laughs> and stumbled and fallen on numerous occasions. Um, but I, it, there was that real sense that they thought they were competing with something that they were not competing with, you know, that they thought there was a gap in the market for high-quality, well-produced content. And it's just the kind of thing that feels like it's it's what these people who live in a boardroom and probably have never spent time with five-minute content. Like, no. they, they would not be hanging out with this kind of stuff on a regular basis. They would not be hanging out on YouTube. They would not be hanging out on TikTok, um, you know. But they thought they knew better. They really thought that if only there was high-quality high Hollywood five-minute content, it would make all the difference. And for me, in last week's newsletter, I kind of wrote about that difference between the fight for attention and our desire for distraction. And that's where I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're willing to pay for stuff that we think is really worth our attention. But actually, in those little moments in between when you're just trying to fill in time, then things like TikTok and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, they are perfect for filling those little gaps because at any single moment, you can always put that thing down. Like if you are in a line and you get your number gets called or you are on a bus or even if you are just sitting on the couch flicking while you're watching something else, like that stuff is perfect because you know that that little distraction can stop like in a heartbeat, whereas even five minutes of well-produced content, you're like, five minutes is a commitment when you're in that sort of context and you don't want to have to stop if it's in the middle of an important moment in a cleverly made story. So that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, they just, they they were off the target. No one wants it. Wildly off the target. And look, you know, God help me, I can't believe I'm bringing this 90s phrase out of retirement, but content is king. It's not entirely clear if that content was there. Um, I did read a really fascinating article quite recently uh, about a Hollywood writer, Joel Stein, who got all of his pitch ideas knocked back from Quibi. He's the person who, he jokes, is the one person who couldn't sell <laughs> a story idea to Quibi. His ideas were 
drunk versus stoned, people first smoke weed and then drink whiskey to determine which substance most limits their ability to drive a truck, navigate an escape room, and recite a poem. His other pitch was inside the phone, record a celebrity screen for 24 hours, edit it down to 10 minutes with their commentary, and a scripted film, Revenge of the Jocks, the sales team takes over Facebook from the power mad, mean, and sexist engineers. I, I'd watch all three of those. Totally. And look, here's the thing for me that I kind of really, if before it runs out, and here in Australia, you can you can dial it up and get it for free. Like you don't have to pay because they were testing an ad supported model here in Australia. So it does mean you can jump in and catch. You know, if anything in there catches your eye, you jump in and do flip. it. Apparently, it's all going to shut down in uh, early December, I think is what they've said. But the homemade Princess Bride <laughs> is totally worth it. And it is totally the kind of content that they should have been making. Because, uh, and I think this is another little argument I threw out in my newsletter last week, but I'm like, the one thing that they had that nobody else has is access to Hollywood. And the trust of people in Hollywood to, you know, yeah, let's be playful and do cool things that are a bit like, yeah, more like user generated content. But, but we'll, we can ring Paul Rudd and say, Hey, come and like, you know, will you shoot yourself on your, on your like smartphone pretending to be Wesley from. <laughs> Princess Bride, just for a few lines. And then we're editing it together with a whole bunch of other people who've done their other lines, and the whole thing is for charity. You're like, that's the kind... No one else is going to ring them up and be able to ask them to do that. But, like, Katzenberg, Whitman, these are the people who could pull that off, and it was the best thing. It was like they could have created a service, which is almost like let's just let all those... And this is like the the idea you were just kind of sharing. It's like let all those people who have written sketches for tonight shows and late shows just do like sketch comedy in this kind of video format, but with cool famous people being funny and having fun. And I'm like, I'd I'd check that out on a regular basis if if that's mostly what it was. Look, so would I. And I'm going to make one more point on Quibi before we move on. Uh, if you're wondering why Seamus and I have been so obsessed with it, A, it's quibby. Of course we're obsessed with it. It's just the weirdest idea ever. But B, <laughs> um, the Australian government lost $50 million on Quibi. Uh, they had actually invested that from the Future Fund. Um, and my understanding of the Future Fund uh, is that that's just gone now. So $50 million of Australian money, all of us, I guess, are, are part owners in a weird way, um, has uh, been eaten up by the failure of Quibi. Yeah. I had forgotten that little note. I read it last uh, last week, I think, and went, oh, my God. It's- and look, you know, uh, right, fancy fund management investment is all about some hits and misses here and there. But really, um, whatever advice they took to say, look, it's worth throwing a little bit in the pot for this because, oh, look, these septuagenarians <laughs> know what the kids want. Look, it's like, please, no. The just, topic, let's be more careful next time. The topic of poor government investment actually brings me to what I do want to chat about. Oh, yeah. um, if I gave you, Seamus Byrne, $357,000, do you reckon you could track me down a case of COVID-19? 
Look, me personally, um, no. Um, but I'll take your money and do my very best. Gosh darn it. Can I have the money? $5 million spent on the government's COVID safe app, the COVID tracing app. 14 unique cases of COVID recovered from it. That's it. That is approximately $357,000 per case. You could hire, uh, I don't know, six pretty cheap private detectives per case for that amount of money, couldn't you? <laughs> look, that's true. Um, and look, for me, I'm like, I, I don't like the idea of sort of getting too caught up in the, the, the costs. It is horrible. It is horrible. And, but what I think it speaks to is almost the idea that, you know, $5 million could have been money well spent if there had been the right commitment to what they were trying to do and to, like, to not, have stayed so fixated on the idea that they were building it the right way and no one was going to tell them that there was ever going to be a better way to write it. And then with the evidence that kind of has popped up along the way that essentially volunteers on GitHub have been the people doing most of the work to actually make the thing vaguely workable instead of the people who got paid actually having the skills to make it work in the first place. It. So many people came out and said, here's what needs to change with this. Here's why this isn't working. It was beset by tech problems. It was problematic. They had some, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, fairly unrealistic expectation that 40% of the population, not just of the population with a smartphone that could run it, but 40% of the population would need to download it to make it work. The marketing behind it was, I believe, quite confusing, making it sound like somehow it was going to protect you from getting COVID, not yes. help people trace you your activities when you did get COVID. And honestly, what it's come down to is boot leather and phone calls from contact tracers doing incredible work. I think, if anything, it makes the job they've done stand out as being absolutely remarkable when you look at what they've achieved compared to what was supposed to be the high-tech solution. Yeah, that is a great point, that the, the job that has been done in this country, yeah, by people genuinely just getting on the phone and getting out there into the community to work out what has been going on and interviewing people effectively knowing like the skill to be able to do that and really you know pick up on all the threads of information so that you can trace other people in a manual sense is is epic like that is such good work that has been done here and it is something that you know in a lot of regards should be, I think, you know, the envy of so many places in the world. Like, you know, Victoria had its issues, but the fact that we have stamped that sort of big outbreak down now and that, you know, New South Wales has kept a lid on things when they've sort of been bubbling up in different places and there have been clusters, but they've been really doing a good job of containing those clusters to the point where so many of the daily case numbers that we hear about, it's like that person was already in isolation when they were confirmed like so many really great jobs being done. And then, look, I think, yeah, one of the big problems as well with those early days of the app was, as you say, such booster kind of talk from the government, from the prime minister, and then a genuine reluctance in the media to to say that 
that there was anything to be worried about or that that it wasn't being well done. Like everyone was, oh, look, look, we can't talk down because we have to make sure that as many people as possible just download it, even if it it doesn't matter if it's not perfect or it's not working. <laughs> and that's the bit where you go, no, we really do need to make sure that these that it works and that we haven't oversold it to the point where I remember hearing stories of people who were genuinely upset and scared because their phone wasn't a model that could actually even install it. There was a lot of confusion around it. Now, I just want to correct myself. I think I said it had only tracked down 14 contacts. 17 is the number, I believe, that was identified yesterday. But yesterday was also when we heard that the app-specific advertising budget for that period was $6.95 million. So that's separate to the development budget. Yeah. $7 million bucks I mean, on advertising. Yeah. And it's, look, I feel like making sure people got it installed, huge, like incredibly important. Um, I think there really should be questions about things like who exactly won that tender? Was there a tender? Like who got handed that job and why hasn't, why weren't they able to do things like solve those Bluetooth issues that plagued the iPhone version for so long and that it took some of those GitHub contributors stepping in and saying, I've spotted where you have written this bad piece of code and that's why this thing is happening. So here, I am giving you sample code to fix that thing. And this was three months later. And you're like, that just shouldn't have been a thing. Um and it, I mean, it just, right, it goes back to the old heart of all these kinds of issues with government procuring technology. Um, but look, the thing that I was just thinking this morning was that how, like, even if all they did was pivot this app right now and literally go, let's turn COVID safe into the check-in system with QR codes for restaurants and hotels and, you know, any kind of a venue where you have to go in, spending a bit of time here, check in, use that same app. And that would then give people a reason to have it on their phone to know that they're not hitting some random bloody Google document that's just collecting people's personal data with no security around it. Um, like this could have been a thing that could have been thought of months ago, not me having a random thought bubble on a, you know, Wednesday in October, um, to give people a better sense of the app actually serving a few different purposes, it would then be centralizing that same sense of, oh, we do need to contact people who were in Woolworths, in Barrel on 7.30 on like Tuesday night. Um, we have that because, you know, we don't have everybody, but the people who are using that app because that is the trusted way that we're going to do QR code. Like, this could have been a really helpful pivot, even in the face of some of those Bluetooth issues that were being experienced on iPhone. It should have been really simple. And instead, what we saw was actually the Service New South Wales app. So a, a state-specific app turned into that QR scanning app. That was actually initially road-tested in Dubbo before being rolled out on the app as a whole. And yet I still don't do it uh, because it's far easier for me to just scan that QR code normally... And just straight through your camera. Straight yep. through the camera. Um, th we were trying to solve problems that for a lot of people didn't 
need to be solved uh, in terms of how we checked in. And at the end of the day, some of that pen and paper stuff was just as effective, I think. And um, I don't know. We're going to be counting the cost of, of where where some of the technology failed us, I think, during this pandemic for quite a while, even as we, I think, have, God help me for putting this out there, turned a bit of a corner in this country at the very least in right. terms of our management. Touch, yep, touch wood. There touch we go. wood on <laughs> that one. But look, I think that's a great point to make that technology is not the answer to all of our problems. Oh, no. And that has to be a lesson from this, that, you know, that actually letting really good traditional work you know, get the job done sometimes rather than thinking that tech is the saviour in any particular regard is hopefully, yeah, you know, as much as tech has been amazing in so many different ways to keep people working, keep keep things moving, keep us connected, that in some regards, you know, hats off to the people who just know how to get in there and get the job done with pen and paper in hand. Yes, thank you. That's a very good way of putting it. Seamus, we are coming up to, well, nearly half an hour of show. Talk about some yeah. wins and fails. What's a win for you this week? All right. I actually, this is like totally left field, um, but I think it's got a nice little nerdy edge to it. Um, I first encountered this company a few years back and I really liked it. And I've kind of realized that I've, this has now just been my, totally my go to for, Colognes and sort of fragrance type stuff. Okay. Um, it's called Solid State. What are they doing differently? Basically does colognes in particular, this is where they started. They now do shampoos and conditioners and all sorts of other things. Um, but you get it in a little tiny uh, like metal case that can fit in your like coin pocket, in your jeans, something like that. Really simple. Uh, but it is... It is like, well, funnily enough, as the name implies, it's a little kind of solid gel, essentially. And you just kind of rub it a little bit with your finger and then you can apply that to wherever you want to apply some cologne. And intriguing. Yeah, basically it's kind of not using water and alcohol as kind of the medium to spray it at you, but instead it's just that kind of basically like, I guess, the warmth off your finger just warms it up enough that it sort of liquefies just enough that you then just wipe it on yourself. And it also means it actually lasts really well. Like compared to most of the traditional stuff I've used, I've really liked the way um, it goes on. So, you know, it's wax-based and here's the cool thing. It's Australian made. And it was the kind of thing where it was kind of so well-polished and well-designed that I couldn't help but think like, oh, well, this is some international product <laughs> of some kind. But, yeah, it's straight out of Melbourne. And so it is wax-based is kind of the thing of how it's made. Um, but, yeah, just really clever stuff. They also point out, like, 80% smaller than the traditional size that you would kind of need to get for something to last as long. Um, and, the you know, the scents are great. They've even kind of just um, – the reason it kind of popped into my mind is that they've released a new option that uh, is, like – I think they're riffing on like one of the Dior kind of scents recently or something, um, but it, yeah, it just made me sort of. It was a, it was actually a scent that I've also had, and so I was like, oh yeah, I'd get the solid state version of that. Um, but yeah, just really really clever stuff, um, and totally Aussie. I think it'd be awesome. 
We're, we're almost at that time of year, Nick. Great Christmas oh. present fodder, let me just say. <laughs> but they have, like, alongside these little, you know, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes because then once you see the packet, you totally get it. But it is just this lovely little sliding case, almost like a miniature matchbox, you know, and you just slide up one side, rub a bit on your finger, and it is the kind of thing where because it fits like that, you can, if you're out for a long day, you could reapply halfway through the day or, like, near the end of the day if you're going out for a drink. And I've just realized I've kind of consistently used this thing for a few years now, really sort of loved it, and I think it's just kind of, you know, geeky for me in the sense that you go, boy, have they solved a problem with a clever solution and... And, you know, much like our solid state drives in our computers, I just couldn't help but kind of go, hey, solid state, that's a clever name. I like it. So, solid state, check it out. <laughs> this turns out to be an affiliate marketing program. You're in so much trouble. But no, it does. I, sound- I was about to say, I should, I should look it up. Do they have it? <laughs> I don't think they do. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Tell me your fail for the week. What's been, what's been disappointing you? Ah, oh, I'm nothing. Good. <laughs> That makes me really no, happy. Look, actually, I do have one. I can't buy for love nor money. I can't buy um, any Elgato. Um, they have these, I can't remember what they call it. They're like basically the lights, you know, they sell lights and camera equipment and things for streamers. And this whole year of people getting themselves up, set up at home for pandemic videos and all that kind of thing, uh, I recently d- realized that they actually sell little kind of poles, like not even, not even needing to buy the light or anything else. You can buy a big, uh, pole that you can essentially, you know, like a clamp mount for your desk. They sell ones of those. It's just the stick with then like a camera mount on top. And for ages, I'd been like hunting, trying to find, you know, a, a good small video camera stand or a tripod that would fit into a small space here in my office. And then something went, hang on, they like sell a pole that just attaches to your desk and you don't have to buy the light or, you know, just for a couple of hundred bucks or not even a couple of hundred. I think it's around a hundred bucks. You get a pole, sticks to your desk, and then you can put a camera or whatever thing you need mounted on it, except they've been out of stock for months. So that's that's my fail. It's not a fail on the part of Elgato. Congratulations, Elgato. You made a product everybody wants. Hurry up and make some more. You're a long way from those weird streaming boxes that no one could quite understand what to do with about 10, 15 years ago that you were making. Oh, yes. The only people who were making them at the time. Look, my yeah. win, it is five years old next month. I have just started a brand new run on Fallout 4. I think we've talked before how much I love Bethesda games. Fallout's been a big passion of mine for a long time. I clocked over 350 hours on Fallout 3 and all of the associated add-ons. Fallout 4, it still stands up. I love going back to it. One of the great things about being still in this console generation is it kind of just looks like it did when it came out, and I'm actually quite comfortable with that. Fallout 4 is scratching an itch um, for me at the moment. I think I'd been playing games that just allowed me to dip in and dip out for a while. I suddenly decided I really did want to get back into something a bit more in-depth, the kind of thing I can lose myself in. Fallout 4 is that. I'm ignoring story mission, as I think nearly everyone did in Fallout 4. No offense to story writers. <laughs> uh, and I've just um, grabbed a gun and turned my way in uh, an easterly direction and started walking to see what I can find. And it's been a great deal of fun. And my fail, I can't believe we, you know, God, Ookla speed test results. How many times did you and I talk about that when we were at CNET? 
a lot. I think it was oh, every yeah. quarter we'd end up writing a new story about it. It's no better. Australia is sitting at number 61 in terms of the world scale, 61st in the world in terms of internet speeds at a time when the NBN is in focus. We should be pretty ashamed of that, and I think that is a massive fail for a developed country. Yeah, you know what? Like, if if it was if we were ranked 61st on an Olympics ladder, you better believe there'd be billions of dollars ready to go to fix the Australian Institute of Sport and work out how we get back up that ladder and punch above our weight. But somehow, for you know the infrastructure of the 21st century, it's much better to just say, look, let's let the market decide how that works. I wanted to ask you one thing about Fallout 4. Go. Um, When you said you turned in easterly direction, is this some kind of thing where you've gone, well, every other time I played it, I I headed off west and north and I've never seen what's out to the east. Like, It's it's not even, most of the story is actually down south when you start off. So I just ignored south and I, I turned east. It just made a yeah. lot of sense to me at the time. That's all. <laughs> I love, like, I, I love it. I love the idea of going, I'm just going <laughs> to, let's head east. It really see what that. adventures await. I made sure I picked up dog meat first. Like, you've got to have dog meat with you. But then oh, I just like, uh, east and uh, uh, take a gun and see who's there to shoot. It's been a great deal of fun. James, where can people find you? I am at Seamus on Twitter. Uh, and that's the main place you find me hanging out a lot. Um, where will people find you, Nick? Uh, also on Twitter, uh, at dr underscore nic, at Dr. Nick. You can track me down on Facebook if you want. I'm just not there a hell of a lot. Cool. And look, you can find Byteside at Byteside on Twitter, uh, at the Byteside on Instagram. You can email us, ask at Byteside.com. Uh, and of course, please share the show with a friend that you think would find our rambling <laughs> adventures um, vaguely interesting. Um, our hot takes on dead internet, uh, dead video <laughs> services, and and why we knew how they got it wrong. Uh, but of course, please just shout out via uh, whatever social media channels you feel like it, and we will catch you again real soon. <laughs>